You're listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Northwest, including our gathering time, visit us at nwcbc.org. Today's speaker will be Pastor Stephen Yi. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church. Uh, I am so glad that you are here. Uh, it's a blessing to worship together with each one of you. Uh, thank you for coming and being here in person, uh, and also thank you for those that are joining us online. Uh, I do want to extend to you a special invitation. As you see on the screen there, I want to invite each one of you to come and be a part of Christmas here at Northwest Chinese Baptist Church. We have a multitude of events and things going on starting this next Saturday uh, December 10th, so please take note of these things, put them on your calendar, but more importantly, participate, come, be a part, join us for Christmas here at Northwest. We know uh, as the church, right, the real reason for the season, his name is Jesus, and so I invite you, invite somebody to come. Invite someone to come with you. Pray for them. Invite them because in all of these things, we're going to be pointing back to Jesus Christ. The fact that he came on Christmas Day. God with us. So please come and be a part from the Christmas musical to Christmas caroling. And one special note, something that we haven't had in a long time. December 24th, Christmas Eve, we're going to have a candlelight worship service. It will not be like a traditional Sunday morning service. It will be different, but I encourage you to make plans to come. And also afterwards, there's another time of Christmas caroling. We're going to go out to some of the people that have moved here from Taiwan and go and share Christmas carols with them at 8 o'clock on December 24th. So come and participate. Uh, I'm so excited. <laughs> this is not an, an event, <laughs> uh, but uh, sorry, I'm speaking about that next slide. Uh, but let's go to that next slide. Have you ever been amazed by what someone else can do? Anybody? I'm amazed when I see the worship team, them singing and playing instruments by their musical talents but, and, and their love for the Lord. Uh, I, I look at other people, or you look on TV, I, I'm, I love sports, and so I see what the athleticism and the skill that people have. Well, there's this group of guys that is, has exploded on the internet, and is, they've been exploding for over 10 years, and their group is called Dude Perfect. How many of you have heard of them? Don't be embarrassed. It's okay. Okay, I saw some adults just go. Real quick. <laughs> All right. Dude, perfect. It's okay. They are famous. If, and if you didn't know them, you're out of the loop. They are famous. And do you know what they're famous for? They are famous for doing uh, improbable and <laughs> amazing tricks. Okay? And you see trick shots. It started by doing trick shots, like throwing a basketball, you know, from a... 500-foot building and making it into the basket that's on the ground. Don't ask me where the name came from. I don't know the origination of their name, Dude Perfect. But they have over six, almost 60 million subscribers on YouTube. If you don't know what YouTube is, 
That's okay. You can talk to me after the service or come go talk to someone that's a little less wise than you and they'll explain it. I'm not going to say younger. Okay? 60 million subscribers. Do you know how many we have to our Northwest Chinese Baptist Church YouTube channel? How many subscribers? Anyone? You can check it. We have a little bit less, a little bit under 60 million. Okay? Maybe about 100. Okay, you guys need to subscribe and like and hit the notification. No, okay. Anyway, yeah, don't do that. Okay, I won't talk about YouTube. But they make videos of themselves accomplishing the most improbable or challenging tasks. All right, they have all these videos. And and just to share about some of these things that they've done and that are so popular, they videoed themselves flipping a water bottle and landing the water bottle (laughs) right side up. And do you know how many views that video has gotten? Over 430 million views. They made a video uh, of this trick shot of of throwing a video game disc into the video game console. Do you know how many views that video got? 324 million views. They have a video showing all of the world records that they have broken. Do you know how many world records, Guinness Book of World Records... How many times Dude Perfect is in the Guinness Book? 14 times. (laughs) Yeah, someone said, wow. Yeah, yeah. They set 14 Guinness World Records. They do things that are mind-blowing or mind-dumbing? No, but hey, they are famous, okay? And it makes you want to follow them when you see the things that they do. For over a decade, They've been around for over a decade. Dude Perfect has done. They've put themselves in history, doing four, setting 14 world records. And uh, I'm not going to show. I contemplated showing one of their videos, but we're not going to do that today. You can look it up on your own. Uh, I did not know about them. Well, actually, I did know about them before my children. Uh, but my children were at one point very interested and. And as they were watching, I couldn't help but just uh, be so attracted to their videos because they do things that you wouldn't think are possible. But I want to share with you this morning of something truly amazing, something truly amazing and even better than Dude Perfect. You're like, Pastor Steve, anything's better than Dude Perfect because I had no idea who they were until today. Well... Dude Perfect has been around for over 10 years. But let me take you back to over 2,000 years ago. Over 2,000 years ago, God did something miraculous that no one else could ever do. He sent his one and only son, Jesus. Jesus Christ, he came to this earth. He was born as a baby. He He lived a perfect life. He was tempted in every way, yet did not sin. He was captured and he was crucified on a cross. He fulfilled all of the prophecies of old. Jesus shed his blood and he died on that cross. He provided the cure for humanity's biggest problem. He provided a cure for our sin, our sin that separates us from God, our creator, our heavenly father. Jesus was put in a grave, in a tomb, and on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He rose from the grave. And you see, when I think about things that are amazing or that are, are 
improbable or, or things that attract our attention. You see, there's something in us that marvels at the impossible, isn't there? We're wired to notice the miraculous and feel a sense of awe when we see things that we don't, that are abnormal or out of the ordinary. And we wonder at the marvels that we experience in this life. Yet I want to encourage you, dear church, dear friends, to, to consider this Christmas. Consider this Christmas season. I pray that your sense of wonder would be awakened to the reality of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. This year, this Christmas, in the midst of the busyness and the craziness and the shopping and the cooking and, and, and making arrangements for how you're going to get there or how they're going to get here and all the parties and all the get-togethers, May you be in awe, and may that sense of wonder be ignited in you as you consider how wonderful our Savior Jesus Christ is. And I pray that this Christmas, as you focus in and fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, that you would experience the hope, the peace, the love, and the joy that is a reality for everyone that confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. That is my prayer for you, dear friend. That is my prayer, dear brother and sister in Christ. That as we focus in on Christmas, that we focus in on Jesus, our wonderful Savior. You know, as we study Mark's account of Jesus' life and ministry, we see, we find ourselves more that we see that Jesus was, was in Galilee for more than a year. And his ministry keeps growing. The crowds keep growing. The people that, that are clamoring and seeking to, to just catch a glimpse of this guy named Jesus who's performing these miracles. It's growing and growing. And we see Jesus extending his ministry. And uh, though some people believed, we all know the truth, right? The majority of people did not believe in him did not believe that he was the Messiah, the Savior that they were waiting for, did not believe that he was God's son. Not the people in his own hometown of Nazareth, not the Jewish leaders who knew all of the Old Testament scriptures and knew of the prophecies of old, yet they did not acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. They wanted to kill Jesus. King Herod, fearful that Jesus posed a political threat to him, he wanted Jesus gone and dead. And so here we are, Mark chapter 7, knowing that the threat was growing, and yet Jesus' time to go to the cross was still months away. Jesus left Galilee. He left Galilee, and he wanted to, instead of focusing on the crowds and proclaiming the message, Yes, he still did that, but he took time to invest and to pour into his disciples, preparing them for the mission and the ministry that he had planned for them. So rather than traveling south uh, into Judea, Jesus goes north. Where? Where does he go? Further away from Jerusalem, right? The, the, the hardcore Jewish leaders and, and the Jewish crowds. He went north to Gentile country, the city of Tyre. He wanted some privacy. He wanted time to be able to pour into his disciples. And so you see this shift here, and we noticed it last week as well. But here's the, also the reality of that time. 
Everywhere Jesus goes, the people follow. The crowds of people are drawn to him. Why? Because of what they've seen. Because of what they heard. They've heard of his amazing miracles. And they're drawn to it. They're drawn to him. They heard of how he, he, he uh, cast out demons. Of how he healed the sick or gave sight to the blind. And they want to come. They want to see this Jesus. And so, please, would you turn with me? Open up your Bible. Open up your Bible app to Mark chapter 7. We're going to study the end of this chapter, verses 24 through 37. And I want to read this section of Scripture to you out loud. Would you follow along silently as I read out loud? But before I read this section of Scripture, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father God, we praise you. You are God Almighty. You are perfect. You created the heavens and the earth, and you created us. And God, I thank you for today. Thank you, God, for the rain that cleanses the air, that that hydrates the ground, that gives us water to live. God, thank you for caring for us so perfectly. And God, I ask right now that as we study your word, that you would open our hearts. Give us sensitivity, God, to your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand what it is that you're trying to teach us. Help help us to understand what it is that you are saying here in your word to us. God, give us wisdom, give us discernment, and God, give us courage and boldness. May we not be just hearers of your word, but may we be doers of your word. And so God, thank you for giving us your son Jesus, our wonderful Savior. And I pray that as we study this passage, that we would learn more reasons why Jesus is such a wonderful Savior. God, we thank you. I thank you for everyone here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her daughter lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephaphatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. 
People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Dear friends, dear brothers and sisters, this is my encouragement for us this, this morning. I pray that as we look at this passage and we study and we see the wonder of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we would realize that hope is a reality because Jesus Christ is our wonderful Savior. Jesus is our wonderful Savior. And the first reason why that we see here is because Jesus cares about your hurt. Jesus cares about our hurt. You look at verses 24 through 30. And so Jesus, right, he's continuing his earthly ministry. We see this shift of Jesus wanting to focus and pour into his disciples and the, for the ministry and the mission that he has planned for them. And so something interesting to note here is think about the timeline. I think something that's always helpful, for to, helpful to me when I'm studying God's word is to think about when is this happening and where does this fit into the whole timeline? Yes, Jesus was born and I know he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, but what happened? When did that all take place? And so Jesus, right, he, he was born at about, at about 5 AD, but here, right, we see when Jesus was baptized, that was about 26 AD. And, and 27 AD, so like a year after Jesus was baptized, that's when he was tempted in the wilderness uh, by Satan. That's when he called his first disciples. You think a year later in 28 AD, Jesus goes to, to Galilee proclaiming. That's where he proclaims he's the Lord of the Sabbath. That's when he starts teaching in parables. And then in the year 29 AD, Jesus sends out the 12. And that's when we, a couple weeks ago when we studied Jesus feeding the 5,000, that's when that took place. And so it kind of helps to think about, okay, this is, it didn't all happen in one day, but there's time here. God is working. God is carrying out his plans. So up to this point in chapter 7 in the Gospel of Mark, all of this is happening God is working out his plans, and some time is going by. And we see Jesus, right, wanting to pour into his disciples, going up to Gentile country. Gentile simply means anyone that's not Jewish. Okay, so he goes north to Tyre. And this would have surely, right, helped to distance himself from the religious leaders that wanted to kill him, distance himself from the crowds that had built up and that were in a frenzy about all the things that he was teaching and all the things that he did. And yet, as he goes north into Gentile country, the crowds are still there. The crowds are forming, right? And the people are running to see him. And you see Mark here giving this account of a Gentile woman with a demon-possessed daughter. And what does Mark do? He gives us a little history about this woman. And so what do you know about this woman? She's from Syria, Phoenicia. And really, why does Mark point this out? It's because not only is she a Gentile, all right, a non-Jew, not one of the chosen ones of God, right? But she is also from a place, a Gentile nation that was a in great opposition to Israel. She would be despised. Her people are despised because of how they oppose the nation of Israel. And yet this is the woman that runs to Jesus and falls at his feet. You know, if you think about this area, just to give you a little history, this was the area that was also the home of Jezebel. 
that we read about in 1 Kings chapter 16. Both prophets, Ezekiel and Zechariah, Ezekiel in chapter 26, Zechariah chapter 9, they prophesied against Jezebel. This is the very place where this woman came from and is now approaching Jesus. You know, one writer, he says this about the city. Tyre, the city Tyre, probably represented the most extreme expression of paganism, both actually and symbolically, that a Jew could expect to encounter. So people from this city would be the worst of the worst, to put it simply. You would not want to to encounter someone from this city because you would despise them. Yet what does Jesus do? How does he respond to this woman? Jesus willingly goes there. He goes to the city willingly, and yet he graciously receives this woman. Can you see how amazing this is? Right? I'm not going to reread those verses because we just read them. But see, Jesus is traveling to an area that people, that him as a Jew and the Israelites would reject and despise. That's one thing, to go to a Gentile area. But then to receive and to converse with this woman that is from Tyre, that's outrageous. This is completely radical for Jesus to do this. This is completely radical for this woman to approach Jesus. It goes against all societal norms at the time. Yet this is also eternally significant because this is an example of how Jesus came that all people might be saved, regardless of their background, regardless of their past, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their status. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. So look at what happens. The woman falls, finds Jesus, falls at Jesus' feet and begs him to heal her demon-possessed daughter. Jesus cares about your hurt, just as Jesus cares about this woman and her hurt, her love for her daughter who is suffering and being tormented by this demon. But everyone, right? Everyone knew. Jesus knew and this woman knew that this interaction should not be taking place. There is no way that a Jewish man would interact with a Gentile woman in this way. Yet this woman runs to Jesus. Why? Is she worried about what everyone's going to say? Is she worried about what society is going to say and what all of the things that she should be doing or shouldn't be doing? Is she worried about that? No, she's concerned for her daughter. And she knows she is in desperation, realizing that her daughter is being tormented moment by moment. So what does she do? She runs to Jesus. She falls at his feet and she begs him to heal her. See, this dialogue between Jesus and the woman, it's wonderful. Look at what the dialogue, how, how it goes. Look at verse 27. First, let the, look at Jesus' response. This is interesting. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. This is a very profound statement. All right, if you think about this, right, Jesus, he gives this statement, this response to this woman, And really, when he says, the children here, in his response, refers to the Jews, the nation of Israel. They were the chosen ones. They are the chosen ones of God, right? 
the gospel, Jesus going to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Children represents the Jews. Who do the dogs represent? You. (laughs) Just you, not me. No, all of us Gentiles, the Gentiles. The dogs in this phrase, this response, are the Gentiles. So, Jesus is calling this woman, I'll point over here. Jesus is calling this woman a dog, which is not a term of endearment. He says it, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. But I want to ask you, was Jesus insulting this woman? Is Jesus insulting this woman on purpose and intentionally because he is above her? Answer is no. Answer is no. Well, yes and no. He's not intentionally insulting her. Yes, hearing that word, being called a dog, no one would like that because a dog was, I mean, we might think of, oh, a cute puppy, how great. No. When you called someone a dog, you, someone who is unclean, someone, someone who is below you, someone who is filthy. Yes, he said that about, he's referring to her as a dog, as a Gentile. But he is not trying to insult her. But he acknowledges the common views of the day. He's acknowledging this reality that this is how people think. And this is the cultural reality, the cultural norm of our time. Jews are the chosen ones. We do not associate with the Gentiles. There is this divide. There's this broken relationship. Things are not right. And yes, you are looked down upon as a Gentile. You, woman, are looked down upon and should not be talking to me according to everyone and according to everything that's going on in our life and in our world. We should not be having this conversation Jesus was pointing to the obvious. But Jesus was also pointing out, he was talking about what he came to do. He's pointing to his ministry. This was a fulfillment of God's plan. Yes, he chose Israel to bless the whole world. Yet can you see God working out his plan as the gospel went, yes, to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles? Jesus came, and yes, he wanted to bless Israel so that they would be a blessing to the world. But you see God doing this here in the life and the ministry of Jesus as he's sharing the good news about himself, as he's calling people to repentance and to trust him as Lord. You see the message, you see the truth going out to all people. Jesus was pointing this out. He's pointing to the obvious, and and as someone would Maybe the woman had these initial feelings of, oh, great, Jesus is calling me out. You're stating the obvious, Jesus. Yes, I'm below you. I'm a Gentile. I'm unclean. I'm not the chosen one. But was that the woman's response to Jesus after he called her a dog? I don't know about you, but if somebody called me a filthy dog, I don't think I would have res- respond how this woman responds. I wouldn't respond too well, but... See, the woman is fully aware of the situation. But see, what is her priority? And what is on her mind? Is she thinking about, how could you, Jesus, insult me like that and, and remind me of the fact that I'm not like you, I'm not one of the chosen ones? No. She has a need, and she recognizes that Jesus can heal her daughter. 
She is not deterred. She says, even, what does she say? This is a very profound response. Even the dogs wait under the table to get the crumbs. She could have said a number of things to Jesus. Like, get out of here. You're a jerk. But she's saying, yes, I know the Jews are the chosen ones. And I am but a lowly Gentile. But I know that you are Jesus. And I know that you can heal my daughter. You see, the woman's response revealed her faith. And against what the rest of society says, in the midst of hurt, hardship, and pain, this woman comes to Jesus so that her daughter might be saved, so that her daughter might be healed. She could have done a lot of different things. She could have left. She could have walked away. She could have cursed Jesus and left. But she realized her need. She went to Jesus. and She cried out to him. Dear friend, Jesus knows and he cares about your hurt and your need. And he wants us to know that he is the greatest healer. Not just that Jesus can heal. He is the greatest healer. Because do you know what Jesus came to do? He came to heal our soul. He came to give us life eternal with him. To reconcile us with our heavenly father, God. When our sin separated us from God, Jesus came and paid the price for us. So that our sin would separate us from God no more so that our sin would no longer hold us in bondage, but we've been set free. The truth is, apart from God, there is no eternal life. Apart from God, there is no healing. Dear friend, you're here today, and you have a hurt, you have a need, and you're searching for answers, you're searching for help, you're searching for healing. I want you to know that healing is found only in Jesus. Because if your circumstance changes and, and your situation is fixed, well, what's going to happen the next time a situation comes up? You're going to be left feeling empty and needing and wanting. But I tell you this, when you have a relationship with Jesus, there's no more wanting and no more yearning. Jesus is the only one that could satisfy the longing in our hearts. And there's going to be a day when you are healed completely. And that's when Jesus comes back. That's the assurance that we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus, he is our wonderful Savior. Yes, because he cares for us, but also because Jesus hears your cries for help. That's the second point. Jesus hears your cries for help. Look at verses 31. At verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and, and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephaphatha, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. So what does Jesus do? What happens here? What do we read about? Jesus heals this woman's daughter, right? Jesus hears the response, and she, he knows that this woman has faith in him. And he heals her daughter, right? We see her, the daughter is lying asleep. 
then there's no longer possessed. But here again, we see the crowds coming, the people, a group of people brought their friend or somebody, this man who is disabled to Jesus, begging him to help them. So what does Jesus do? He heals this man, this man that has been deaf, this man that cannot speak well. He touches his ears, he touches his tongue, and he heals him. Jesus hears your cries for help. And I want you to know, dear friend, in our times of need, we should follow this example of the woman and of the crowd, of the group of people in their time of need. What did they do? They ran to Jesus. They trusted him. They dropped to their knees in submission. And they begged Jesus. They cried out to Jesus, help, help us, help me. Yes, he hears our cries for help because Jesus is our greatest helper. Look at how he helped this man. He touched his ears. Did Jesus have to touch this man? No. Well, whenever we see details like this, we need to take note. We need to think about why did Jesus do that? He could have not even said anything. He could have just made it so. That man would have been healed completely. But he touched his ears. He touched his tongue. Some of you might be thinking, that's gross. Okay, I don't know exactly how he did it. He didn't like stick his pinkies in his ears. or what? I don't know. Don't think about it like that. He touched this man who's disabled. And disabled people back then were unclean. They were being punished. They were weird. They were outcasts. Jesus touches him and heals him. Another thing to notice. What does Jesus do before he heals this man? Anyone remember? Does anyone see it as you're reading the scriptures right in front of you? What does he do before he heals the man? You can say it out loud. What? He spits on his hand. Okay. All right, before that. Wait, is it before that? After that? After that. After he spit on his hands and touched the man's tongue. And what did he do after that? Okay, he prayed to God. He looked up to heaven and did what? He sighed. When you think of sighing, is this something positive in your mind, in your experience? When you talk about sighing, I think right about my children. Because they are so obedient, they never sigh. When I ask them to clean their room or wash the dishes or take out the trash, they never sigh. He's not looking at me right now. No. Why does Jesus sigh? Man, there's another person who needs help. Just leave me alone. No. How many of you have ever sighed because your heart breaks for someone that's in need? Oh, man, I can't believe you're going through that. I'm so sorry. This is the love and the compassion of Jesus. In just a brief second, right? A little sigh, right? Before he, he talks to the Father. Oh, man. This is not out of annoyance or inconvenience. This is a sign of his love and compassion. And see, Jesus, he prays to the Father, and he says, he looks up to heaven, and with a sigh, he gives a command, be opened. 
and the man is healed forever. He is truly our greatest helper. Jesus is our wonderful Savior. Jesus loves you more than you will ever know. And his justice is perfect. He is our greatest helper because he helped us from our greatest problem, right? And see, this is something we talk about every week. And as long as I am a follower of Jesus, I'm going to shout it from wherever I am. I'm going to talk about what Jesus has done. He saved us from sin. When I deserve to die, Jesus died for me and you. You see, when you need help, will you run to Jesus? Will you trust Jesus today? The last point that we see, the last reason why Jesus is our wonderful Savior is because he's come to help and to heal you forever. Look at these last two verses. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He's done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Everyone saw what Jesus was doing. And it may sound very repetitive. Pastor Steve, we keep looking at the gospel of Mark, and it just keeps talking about Jesus healing, Jesus casting out, Jesus healing, Jesus casting out. But may we never lose our sense of wonder and awe at who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Instead, right, if you compare it, dude, perfect. Wow, look at what they did. They flipped a water bottle and landed it right side up. Wow. But, oh, Pastor, I'm sick of hearing about, yes, we know he healed. We know he cast out a demon. No, this is amazing. Especially when we consider the fact that he's doing this. Because of who he is, Jesus, he came to heal and to help us for the rest of forever. Right? When you have a need, you're going to go and ask for help. Or you're going to try to do something to fix your problem. Right? I have a water leak in my house. I'm going to do something about it or else my house is going to be ruined and flooded. But what about our sin? Because of our sin, we go to hell. Because of our sin, everything is broken. Our relationships are broken. Everything is broken. Our bodies are broken. And yet Jesus came to heal us and make us whole and to fix our relationship with God, to give us real hope, real peace, real love, real joy that goes beyond our circumstances. It's not dependent on them, but it's dependent on what he has done. That's the reality of life. Never lose your sense of awe and wonder in regards to Jesus, our Savior, our wonderful Savior, because he is our only hope. Money, people, your family, your friends will never save you, will never satisfy you for eternity. Only Jesus And he came for you, and he came for me. And so I ask you, in light of who he is, in light of what he's done, you've seen it today when you look at the scriptures. Maybe you've seen it recently. You've seen Jesus at work in your life. 
My question is, how will you respond? Will you receive Jesus? Will you fall to your knees? And will you cry out to him as your Lord, as your Savior? Or are you going to walk away? Are you going to walk away from Jesus? Will you stand up? I want to pray for you today. Will you rise? We're going to sing this song in a moment, but I want to pray for you. Jesus is our wonderful Savior. Would you pray with me right now? God, I I thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus, your son that you sent, our wonderful Savior, born on Christmas. Yet as he grew up, he lived a perfect life. And yet we know his future. We know that he was sent to die on that cross, to pay the price for my sin, for the sins of everyone in this world. And yet, God, we know that salvation, that hope, that joy, that love and peace is not a reality unless we trust Jesus as Lord. And so, God, I pray that each one of us would would realize that hope is only found in Jesus. God, I pray for my friend that's here, that today they recognize that you are calling them to trust you as Lord, to confess Jesus as Lord right now. I pray, God, that as they recognize that their only hope is in you, that they would just confess it right now. Jesus, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. Jesus, uh, forgive me for my sins. I know I'm not perfect. Yes, I may not be a criminal, Lord, but I know I'm not perfect, and I, I, I fall short of your perfect standard. Jesus, I need you to save me. And Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I pray, God, that my friends here today would confess you as Lord right now. And that when they do that, they know that they're forgiven. You've forgiven them for the rest of forever. And that they've been made new. And God, I pray that you would encourage them. And that we would be able to walk side by side on this journey of life together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Until we see you again. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ as well. God, we know this is encouragement to us today to fix our eyes upon Jesus and to not stop telling others of the great things, the wondrous things that we have seen and that we have heard. May we not stop telling about the blessed hope of eternal life that we have because of what you have done. And I pray that we would not treat this Christmas as just another year. Because we don't know if you're going to come back tomorrow. You may come back tomorrow. And God, I pray that we would live in light of your second coming. The coming of your son Jesus. Second coming of Jesus. And I pray, God, that we would prioritize telling the world of the good news of your son. And that we would not stop until your good news reaches the ends of the earth. God, I thank you and I pray that today as we respond to you, that we would take that next step. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear friends, I want to invite you, dear brothers and sisters, to sing. This is a time for you to respond to God. And it may not be a popular thing to do in some churches, but we do it here because we realize that God is speaking to you. And so we want to invite you. If you, God is leading you to take that next step, I encourage you to come and share it with me. Friend, if you put your faith in Jesus today, please come and tell me so that I can pray with you and encourage you. 
Would you come as we sing? Brother and sister, if God is leading you to take that next step, whatever it may be, would you come? If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to follow us on Spotify and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcast. To listen to the other sermons and watch our live gatherings, visit us online at nwcbc.org. We look forward to see the difference God will make in your life. Thank you for listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcast.